So I started using the word mythical when I, I created a version of, I call it the wholeness template, but dif different cultures might know it as a medicine wheel or as, um, you know, like the, the standing stones, circles as well. And in the West, it's a constellation methodology that I work with where the earth and the physical in the North really hold information and medicine. And then in the East, it's the lifeline and all the stories there. In the south the ancestral and then in the west the mythical and the mythical for me is is really about the multi multiplicity of planes that they are and um, that weave with us in it through existence welcome to rebel spirit radio exploring the frontiers of spirituality consciousness the esoteric and humanity's sacred relationship with a living earth i'm your host nick mather and in this episode, I am joined by author Carol Day to discuss her book, Shamanic Dreaming, Connecting with Your Inner Visionary. Carol explains what shamanic dreaming means to her, why we should listen to the call of the earth as well as our individual calling and recognizing our roles of co-creators of this world. She talks about the importance of presence, the value of living through our senses, and the power of developing a mythically oriented life. Also, please be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you use to listen to or view podcasts. Your support is truly appreciated. Greetings, everyone. Before going to my conversation with Carol Day, I wanted to let you all know about a special Rebel Spirit Radio live stream event scheduled for Saturday, April 8th, that's 2023, at 11 a.m. Pacific Time. I'll be joined by special guest, my good friend and fellow religious studies grad student, Stephanie Bidet, for the first ever Cocktail Apocalypse, Happy Hour at the End of the World. I know it's early, but it's always happy hour somewhere, right? Steph and I will be talking all things apocalypse. We'll also be sharing a special cocktail recipe, courtesy of another of our religious studies grad student pals, Jeremy Anderson of the Kill DeVille Rum and Cocktails YouTube channel. We'll be taking questions from the audience, and I'm sure that it will be, as Steph likes to say, apocalyptic. So be sure to sign up for the Rebel Spirit Radio newsletter at rebelspiritradio.com to keep up to date with all upcoming events. So again, that's Cocktail Apocalypse on Saturday, April 8th, 2023 at 11 a.m. Pacific time. I hope to see you there. And now my conversation with the delightful Carol Day about her book, Shamanic Dreaming. Carol Day is a visionary teacher, psychotherapist, artist, and director of the Center for Creative Vision in Scotland. She has trained with well-known visionaries, including shamanic teachers Sandra Ingerman, Franco Santoro, and Stephen Mulhern, and psychologist Marshall Rosenberg. She runs a private practice in systemic story therapy and is involved in projects centered on creating community and connecting people back to the land. She joins me today to discuss her latest book, Shamanic Dreaming, Connecting with Your Inner Visionary. Carol, welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio. Oh, thank you, Nick. It's, yeah, it's a real honor to be here. Thank you. Well, thank you. I'm looking forward to speaking with you. I rather enjoyed Shamanic Dreaming, but I have a few questions for you right from the start. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, one is the title. And, you know, I know that authors don't always have control over the titles, but when I first saw the title shamanic dreaming what came to my mind was you know like nighttime dreams right mm -hmm. and you touch on that a little bit but that's certainly not the focus so i was curious what does shamanic dreaming mean to you 
That's a great question. So, as you know, the subtitle of the book is Connecting with Your Inner Visionary. So mm -hmm. I think it was a conversation between myself and Pinton Press, the publisher, publishers actually, into what could put the message across best as a title for the book. So the readers could really get a get an image of uh, and a sense of what the book would help them to do. So it's through the process of shamanic dreaming that, that you connect to your inner visionary. So the, the book is full of different ideas, practices, different mapping kind of writing to kind of put in context the idea of being a visionary and being able to communicate with the, the past, the present and the future and being able to connect with the planet in these times and really get a sense of what the calling of the earth is and what the calling of each of us is as an individual that can affect the future. So the practice of shamanism is one of the words, you know, it's one of the titles that's that's most used and recognised, but in effect, the practice of shamanism could be as a seer, as an artist, as a visionary, as someone who goes into the dreaming spaces and who kind of has ways of working with the, the wider web, really. So that dreaming into by by holding dreams, by seeing everything that we do, everything that we put out for, everything that we connect with is a way of, yeah, it's a way of operating with a certain reality and it's a way of moving through into co-creating with everything else. I think shamanic dreaming really, really puts that across. Yeah. So we need people to dream a new, a new world into being in a sense, right? Yeah. Or, or find ways to tap back into the consciousness mm. that's always there, really. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And be a part of that dream rather than going off on different tangents and being out of sync with things. Right. Right. And yeah. I think that that's one of the main themes that runs through the book is this idea of getting back into sync, getting back into sync with nature and ourselves. Yeah, totally, totally. And I mean, I'm a real believer when I open space in, in different classes and sessions, I'm a real believer that we're a part of nature. And it's because we've mm -hmm. stopped thinking of ourselves as mm -hmm. well, mainly collectively as being a part of nature that a lot of them, yeah, that out of syncness can happen. So yeah, who am I as um as a human being on this on this planet in these times with nature. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking here for something that you wrote. And yes, that I think part of the work is to develop the relationship with your sense of self as a part of nature. And I was curious if you could maybe kind of dig into that a little bit more, this idea of, because as you just said, we tend to see ourselves as so entirely separate what is and i don't, and this may not be an easy question to answer but i'm kind of curious what this greater sense of self would be that is connected to the natural world yeah well, i'll tell a little story about how i um <clears throat> yeah how i how i really worked with that in the beginning so one of the, the things that I, I did in my previous kind of, one of my previous hats was to work with children. So children as an educator with children, as an artist and an educator working with children, really, um yeah, really, really watching them and listening to them and seeing how they tick really. And I worked with my friend, Kathy Bach, who set up an outdoor nursery in Scotland. It was 
the first outdoor nursery, completely outdoor nursery in Scotland. And she, she and I developed a curriculum that was called Nature's Teacher. And we just had the children just being outdoors. And, you know, we real, held a really safe space for them, but just to acknowledge that through the seasons, they needed to act out certain archetypes. So they were really in touch with where they needed to go, which tree would hold them, which different, um, yeah, what the what on in those woods and in that landscape was was part of their medicine, really. And so I learned a lot, really, from from watching these children and building this community, this curriculum that worked with what I call the wholeness template, the the wheel of the the seasons. So that that vision of being a part of nature, when I worked with the staff there, the main thing that I did was just help the staff to be mindful and to live in their senses, to really live through their senses and to really get into that space of being with nature and, and, and just sensing where the children are all the time, really. I mean, this was two to, four, to five-year-olds, so they're very, they're very new and, and connected. So, yeah, I guess that's been my experience of how to key in with nature is watching the children, learning how to come back to being in my senses and being... Mm being very much a part of it and then asking that question you know so I'm a human that's part of this nature <laughs> system like what make what makes me different and that's one of the things that I talk about in the book as well that as humans we're, we're shapeshifters mm. we're empaths we we can like you know I remember my daughter coming home from school and I could see who she'd been talking to each day she'd actually kind of like <laughs> you know she'd really really absorb different personalities and We've got a real gift with that. We can really relate to the different members of nature. And if we if we hang out more and more with certain trees or certain lands, mm. then we start to come really in tune with them. So mm. that that gift of being a shapeshifter, you know, it's the, the gift of being the magician, really. Mm. And one of my thoughts is as well, and knowings is that in the beginning, we all lived like that. We all lived in sync. We 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 all had we were all a part of tuning into and understanding the way that everything communicates. And you know, the, the humans were really the custodians of the earth and they still are. And in certain certain communities that's that's still really held as a really important premise. But we can really listen and and feel into what the balance you know, what balance is needed in different times. And yeah, my passion is to help people to to reconnect to that art and that mm. that skill and find their their role really mm-hmm. beautiful and you know it brings to mind a couple of different things one is that we do have this tendency to disembody ourselves you know that I don't know. It's like, you know, it's all the mind (laughs) and we're not, we often don't see ourselves as physical beings. And so I think that this trying to reconnect and ground ourselves in our senses is so crucially important. The other thing is this, there is also, and perhaps this is related, this disconnect between the natural cycles of things. I'll share a really quick story on my part. I always try to be mindful of the uh, cycles of the moon. And I also try to be mindful of the solstices and equinox. And I was teaching a class once it was in summer and I had mentioned that it's the summer solstice and a student didn't even know what that was. And I said, well, it's the longest day of the year. And their response was, oh, so you mean there's like 27 hours or something? 
And I'm like, no. <laughs> and I had to, you know, explain it. And it just occurred to me, and it wasn't the student's fault because they are embedded in this culture that doesn't really pay attention. But it just brought home to me how divorced we are from the natural cycles of everything and to our detriment, I think. Absolutely to our detriment. So I'm also glad that you talked about the children and finding a place in nature. What would you recommend for someone who lives in an urban setting and they think, well, there's no nature around me? First of all, thank you for telling that story there about, mm. about the student and just, just what you notice about how how we, yeah, we've forgotten, mainly forgotten to how to key in with these markers. And I think, yeah, what you're talking about there with that practice of of honouring the cycles of the moon and the maybe you wouldn't use the word honoring, but, you know, be mm. really appreciating that that's going on all the time. And it's having, we're, we're in a flow with that. And also with the, the different times of the year, you know, there's an optimum flow, isn't there? If we all mm. kind of bunker down in winter and go into that dreaming space and then preserve our energies and then come back through to the, the in-bolt time when things are starting mm -hmm. to grow. And if, if we live our lives as humans in tune with that, then there's, I mean, for me, that's that was the calling for me with my own mental health and completely going out of sync um to re to just intuitively return to that as soon as my son was born I knew mm. that I had to find these natural markers of the earth and start to start to hold celebrations of it and it it, it was to keep in in sync because when he was born I felt what he was connected to and I didn't want him to lose his connection with that and it was part of my healing as well and ended up being my work so yeah, that job there that you're asking about living in a city and, and, and what do you do in an urban environment? I'm currently living in Glasgow <laughs> in a city in Scotland and I've moved out of the countryside after 27 years of, of living in the countryside. And so I've, I've had a real kind of, what's it called, identity crisis of, mm. of where do I go? So I'm, I'm big on this question, but nature's everything, mm. isn't it? Nature really is everything. And the air that we breathe, it's, you know, it's the shared air, the weather that's happening, the rocks, the the, the stones, the the bricks that, that our houses are built from. I think, first of all, it's having that attitude that nature is absolutely everything. Hmm. And and then the seasons, we we feel them all the time. So it's it's again, it's having that that chance to 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 sit and be aware of that or to go on walks and 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 be outside and and sense that that nature is yeah it's it's the lived life isn't it in the mm. in the outdoors but also i think a lot about true nature you, you know what's my true nature and i spend probably spend more, most of my time thinking who who on earth am i and and how can i be loyal to to who i am as a natural being as well what what is it that i really want i'm at film school at the moment in the university as well as doing the work that i do in writing so every day i'm in an institutionalized environment and i have to keep keep checking myself like okay, I want to follow this, but I don't want it to take over me because mm. I know there's a way of, of just, just be, remaining true to myself as well. So yeah, being I think it's broadening our outlook about what nature is and, you know, it is about growth, but we're, it is about the natural, but, but, but what's natural in everything and how can, right. it's mainly about being really in the present moment, I think, mm. and, and mm. feeling like we're a part of the turning of time wherever mm. we live. Okay. Those would be my thoughts on that. Okay, perfect. Yeah. 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 It's, and I think that you have a very valid insight there in the sense that 
we are always in nature and we create this sort of artificial divide, you know, between nature and culture, but we're always in nature all the time. Artificial yeah. divide between nature and culture. Yeah. 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 I, I do think it's important though, given that <laughs> to find a place. And I think you talk about this a little bit to find a place in nature. Mm-hmm. Now, I have a practice. I refer to it as my spiritual practice. Given where I am, even though I'm in Los Angeles County, technically in Pasadena, but we're close to the mountains. So there's a canyon that I hike every week, weather and health permitting. And I have done this every Friday for about 10 years. Amazing. And I, I go that. go to the same trail every week because I really wanted to develop a sense of place and a sense of connection to the place. And it's been really interesting how it's all unfolded. And it seems to me that someone even in a urban setting, you know, Los Angeles or Glasgow, they can find just a tree. You know, they can find a tree to go to and just touch and say hello to that tree every day or once a week or whatever, what works for them. I've had, I've had people as well. I did a tree course once and um, I, every course I do is, is a tree course because there's trees <laughs> in everything. I'm so mad about them yeah. and they're so great and invaluable to, yeah, to connection. But I had one person and she was surrounded, but she bought all these trees from, from the local nursery. And she, yeah, she worked with more of the, the trees in her house as well, bonsais as well. Mm. So you can work with, yeah, you can work with yeah. any aspect of nature, can't you? I had a friend from the States actually, who um she'd come on one of the courses who sent me some mandrakes as well. So I've got some mm. mandrakes merrily growing in my, in my home and mm. communicate with them too. Yeah. Um, yeah it's great if you can get outdoors it really yeah. is but it's not it's not essential right right yeah i spoke with stephen harding several months ago and you know he's the author of animate earth and i think his latest book is gaia alchemy but we were talking about something similar and he's like yeah just talk to your houseplant <laughs> you know if you can't get out into the wild you know just talk to your houseplant that that's sufficient as well i'm, so, al- I'm also i also love what you said about your weekly hike on a friday yeah. as well to yeah. the did you call it the, the canyon yeah it's a it's a yeah it's a canyon here yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah uh, or that, yeah 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 canyon <laughs> it's, it's a bit like yeah my daughter when she's come home from school and when we before she grew up used to come home and say oh where have you been today and i'd tell her about all the trees that i'd been to visit and she said mm-hmm. oh trees are like your friends mum but thinking that with your yeah. with your canyon it's a bit like going going to the grandmother or something yeah, yeah it? it is yeah. it is yeah. and there's a tree there's a very specific tree that i always have to stop and say hello to and put my hands on. And, you know, we've had a lot of rain here, which we needed, we desperately needed. So I've only been able to go say hello to my tree once in the past couple of months. But I remember last summer I was leaving on a extended vacation and I went and just, I, I had to tell the tree goodbye. And, you know, I'm like, oh, oh yeah. I'll be back. But I kind of teared up a little bit. But yeah. And, you know, I know a lot of people are like, but why go to the same trail every week? There are a lot of trails. I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of trails, but that's not the point of why I'm doing this. I'm doing this because I want to connect. And it does my heart good that I see people taking children here just at the very beginning of it and letting them explore. As you were talking about earlier, I think that is so important to make that connection at a young age. Yeah. yeah. 
I climbed a mountain called Shihalian. I don't know if you've heard of Shihalian. It's mm-hmm. one of the, the famous mountains. It's just the headquarters for the Shi, who were the fairy mm-hmm. um, in Scotland. And I climbed that with my, I wrote a course all about five different mountains mm-hmm. and storytelling with them. And um, yeah, I would, I, on the way up, it was, it was a pretty steep climb. And we there was like single mums coming down with their children mm. and they'd been all the way to the top. <laughs> it was just like, oh, it was, it was so, they, they encouraged me to keep climbing as well. It's so heartwarming. Mm. Yeah, children love going to these places, don't they? And really yeah. exploring, especially especially when you can, you can bring in the mythology of the land as well, mm-hmm. can't you? And they're just yeah. these, these mountains have spirits and there's so mm-hmm. many stories connected through through the years, I think it's like what you were saying about the seasons as well and the festivals and honoring their mm-hmm. their purpose and their meaning. It's the mm-hmm. same with all our all the different members of our Earth community. Yeah. And yeah. that leads into something else I wanted to ask you about, especially in regards to the myth. Because one of the things you wrote is, and this is a quote, what the world needs in these times is mythically oriented people who can hold a strong and inclusive vision for the future. So I was wondering if you could maybe explain a little bit or talk a little bit more about what you mean by mythically oriented people. Yeah. So I started using the word mythical when I I created a version of, I call it the wholeness template, but different cultures might know it as a medicine wheel or as, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like the, the standing stones circles as well. And in the West, it's a constellation methodology that I work with where the earth and the physical in the North really hold information and medicine. And then in the East, it's the lifeline and all the stories there. In the South, the ancestral, and then in the West, the mythical. And the mythical for me is is really about the multiplicity of planes that they are and that weave with us through existence. And as someone who was had an experience that took them to be able to even more connect with the different planes and that being part of my work and part of my healing to kind of map all of that, that understanding of these could be called spirits, but I also understand it more as archetypal forces. And I work a lot with astrology as well and, Mm. and love, love feeling how the, and seeing how the astrological archetypes like communicate through people's charts and you can get to know yourself better through that. So the word mythical for me really really explains you know the 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 imaginal planes mm. and the the way that we weave with it all so you could call it shamanic practice but i've been working with the word visionary for mm-hmm. a number of, number of years since i was woken up in the night by my guide who was just explaining how much visionaries were needed in this time so I took the word visionary because it, it felt yeah we need to start like really working on vision in the future and working with the future ones so, so yeah, the I like to call it like the practice that I have, like a mythical operator, like someone who can be in the everyday and be very present, but can, you know, really, really attune to and 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 work with the many planes that are part of this whole co-creation. So, yeah, I hope that explains to you what I mean by mythical. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so. It's I think a, another word, a synonym, would be imaginal in a sense, that we can imagine something new. And I think that, I don't know about everywhere, but I know definitely in the United States, the imaginal has a sort of a negative connotation, as does myth in a sense that it's not true in a way. But yet it's, 
it's so important to be able to imagine, to envision a new way of being and to experience these connections. And I often say that I feel like my imagination has been colonized through media and movies and whatnot. And it's like, I want to break through to take it back, to take my Uh imagination back. And it seems to me, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems that the exercises in your book, in a way, are exercises that can help someone do precisely that. Yeah. Can I go back to what you were saying? You keep yeah. saying these yeah. really yeah, yeah, inspiring yeah. things. I'm For nodding sure. away like crazy. But yeah, the I once made this show when I was, I was doing a, a master's in Birmingham in England years ago. And it was, I built this cell and they called it Flighty Cell. And I worked with the thesaurus and the dictionary. And it was basically all the different words that had been, you talked about colonizing your imagination, Mm. all these different words that had been interpreted in a certain way, which were, you know, words that I loved, like free spirited. And the way way that they were written was almost like, oh, no, you can't be like that. So I kind of just had this massive kind of explosion and revealing of how these and a play with how these words had been distorted in the meaning from and it was all about you know connected intuitive and nature loving going with the flow those kind of practices and identities mm-hmm. really so so yeah you really remind me of that in the book I call I talk about imagination in in loop the second part of the mm-hmm. book and really use that word maj which which is also another word for the shaman as well but maj when you you know when you take it back to the roots it means to be able Mm. so isn't that empowering and maj is at the root of the word like imagination you know it's included in there or magic but it's Mm. it's 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 an enabling so what what would what we're doing is tapping into tapping back into the way of working with the imagination as in being able empowering ourselves to have a practice where we open up our intuition we start to we start to explore our creativity and and see what we connect to and what we're drawn drawn to and in answer to the last part of your question there about you know the different practices that I include they're all about just helping us to just playfully and gently come back into a way of, of sensing and operating with the world. And to be honest, we do most of them all the time anyway. Mm. It's it's just building on them and like like with anything, like, you know, exercising a muscle from the building of them and like what you were saying about the weekly pilgrimage that you have, mm. keeping going with them, putting them there, all the rituals of our life create our reality. So if mm. we make the rituals of our life be connected with nature and connected with listening to ourselves, then that changes and transforms the world. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And, and we, systems. Yeah. yeah. And we need to transform the world right now, I think. <laughs> it's in desperate need of transformation. Itself. Yeah. Bring us yeah. back in tune with it. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So you had just mentioned something I wanted to ask you about. And I think that there are probably two sort of questions here. So I'll give you the one, I'll give you both of them. And I think they're connected in a sense. One of the questions is just a basic question about the structure of the book. And that is that you wrote it in two acts like a play. And I wanted to ask why. And then the related question is that second act is all about the loop. Um, it seems. And I wanted to ask you if you could maybe go into a little bit more depth about what that loop is. What do you mean by the loop? Thank you. So the the 
piece about it being a play is that we are always in a play. You know, the earth is our theatre and we've come here to play a part. So it's kind of a play on that by making it into two acts. Also, yeah, I think I, I just like to try try out different ways of, of writing as well. And it's the idea of, you know, if, if I'm writing something conceptually that's about stepping into a play, is that in some way mirroring what we're doing in our everyday lives of stepping into a play? So I'm kind of empowering that notion that we're that we're we're helping to to write the play and and, mm. and be a part of it and and direct the vision that comes in the future. Mm. The loop part, so the first act of the book is called Calling. And so that's really based on just finding practices to follow the calling in ourselves and listen to the calling in everything in these times. And then the second part, loop, is 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 including the ancestors, present ones and the future ones. And it it's around setting up a, a practice really of working with what I call a portal and call it time traveling where we're working with with different plants. I've got rose, fern mm. and lotus there as the plants right. and then different animal beings. That, so the end of calling, you're connecting with the animal planes, the, the archetypal mm. animal spirits as well. And so that's deepening on that where we're working with hedgehog and for the for the present times and the earth element and then moving into working with vulture who's one of my my main guides the mm. the vulture called the vulture woman and then in the the third part of um of act two loop uh working with the orca so that's water element and obviously the middle one's air element and then the idea is that the calling within and that passion for everything is the fire element so so yeah i, I I work with just everybody seeing that what we do now is healing the past. I do constellation work, which is really a lot of ancestral work as well, and working with the idea that what, what we're living now is carrying some of the the stories and the loyalties and the, the wounds of the ancestors, and in the mm. present we can go back and heal that. So really lots of practices around helping to heal that, but then with the future ones, you know, just just how much are we putting on to the future with our sense of, you know, with the things we haven't cleaned up, I think I call it a cleaning up project with the future <laughs> ones, and how much are we, yeah, how much are we wishing onto the future with the, mm. the desolation that we can feel as well? And I bring in as well in that part that you might have heard of, I'm sure you have, I mean, more in Europe, so I, okay. I don't know how much Greek mythology and is a, a part of life in the States and the systems there but but just the idea of, of delphi mm -hmm. and the oracle at delphi and the the priestesses there the pytho who would take in turns to connect with the the snakes there in the water mm -hmm. and go into a trance and just bring visions through from the future so i bring them in as well mm -hmm. and the idea that you know that what they were doing there was connecting with the future and what was needed and just yeah just try and normalize these and have people playing with these 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 practices that are really simple to to work with and i set everybody up with a protector and with different guides and and you know it's a good foundation because i i wrote the courses as foundational courses originally and then to, with the idea that they would become a book so yeah there's a there's a lot of pragmatic and inspirational material in there yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know how the average person in the United States, I don't know what their 
knowledge would be of like Delphi. I think there's a basic idea of Greek mythology. Mm -hmm. I know about the Oracle of Delphi. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Go Google it, um, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that, I, you know, one of the things I think that's important with things like the Oracle at Delphi is that there is such an emphasis on rationality. And I think that our rationality is something that is stifling the creativity. And we need a little bit of irrationality. You know, we need a little bit of that connection to something that can't easily be explained, perhaps, like the Oracle of Delphi. And I think that people are actually opening up to that a little bit more. We see this sort of explosion of people looking at astrology and tarot and whatnot. And I think that's really important. Now, one of the things, uh, there were a couple of things that you had addressed that I really want to get into. And I want to see if I can remember I saw them. you writing things down. <laughs> yeah, I always do little notes here and there. I, I was curious about the animals. I mean, you had, you know, you talked about orca and vulture for you. and I was curious how someone can develop these sorts of relationships, because my sense is that, you know, you gave like Vulture and Orca as an example, but that you would probably encourage people to find their own. And this is something I've done. And it shocked me, the animals that I found as guides, because you had mentioned snakes, and there's that connection of snakes with the Oracle at Delphi as well. And I know that they snakes appear in the Central American and South American visions often. I never liked snakes. I was one of those people, you know, I you know, just keep them away, keep them away. And the reason I started hiking the trail that I hike is because someone told me, it's like, there aren't that many snakes there. I'm like, good <laughs> but but there are rattlesnakes not many and the very first time i hiked and i came across a rattlesnake i was just frozen i'm like do i turn back do i go back do i leave but over this period of time i've developed this great respect you know i'm not going to go and pick them up or try to pet them or anything but i've developed this relationship with in particular rattlesnakes and i've learned lessons from rattlesnake and I now see rattlesnake as a kind of guide for me. So how can people, especially those of us in urban settings, I know that there are some animals, but how can we truly develop a relationship with animals and have animal guides like this? When I, um, yeah, when I first started holding education workshops around this, um, I often would talk about the fact that these animals have always been there for us, so they can be ones that were attracted to as children or that get gifted to us. I had a period where somebody was giving me an owl just about every two weeks <laughs> as a as a gift, and it is is indeed one of my um, yeah most familiar guides as well. So it's looking for the clues and like what you were talking about there as well, just how you're seeing the snake as a part of your story and you're noticing mm. what's happening. I've just been working on a, a course called Bird Tribe with a group mm. of people that have, we've all been tuning into the birds together and just noticing what the birds are up to. And mm. I tell the story a lot about when I moved to Glasgow and it was the magpies that brought me here. They just kept mm. appearing and, and at these significant points. So what I would say, especially with people in urban environments, you get you get birds in 
all cities, yeah. Mm, yeah. Just starting to notice what appears. As well. I mean, I'm living in a city, but I, a deer just walked when I came out of my drive the other oh. day. What in front of the mm. car, and and they are around. So, yeah, so it's that noticing. It's almost like tracking in your life and becoming aware and the more time you're out in nature, just noticing what appears. But in terms of how do you connect with them as 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 guides, you can connect with them in that way where you keep noticing, oh, mm -hmm. they're here yeah. again. But also there's there's a practice that I take people through at the end of of calling where where you, you set up with a vision voyage or what, what can be known as a mm. shamanic journey and help people to set up a practice to work with a drum or a drumming mm -hmm. track and start to tune into, you know, just see what mm. will come through for them. So it's it can be a guided practice as well to mm. to just open up and, and see what, what, what comes through for you. So, yeah, it, I'd say with myself over the years, I mean, I've been working imaginally for a long time all my life. And I'm an artist, so sometimes as well, you know, things will just suddenly start coming through in a painting or mm. or I'll be writing and then all of a sudden it becomes clear there's a white horse in this story and I don't know why. <laughs> and I'll be writing. Yeah. So there's, there's so many ways. It's like, you know, it's th these these planes that are there in that are behind this one that, that they weave through. So it's, it's having those opportunities to either open up and let ourselves consciously give ourselves a, a moment to to connect with them and let them through or else you know through through walking and or being outside and noticing or through the through art and and writing pursuits as well but there is a piece around the kind of opening up to the imaginal realms and to the spirit realms as they're all also known and what i call the you know the the visionary places which is is it's what we do every day, isn't it? Through our mm. dreams and mm. how many people have dreams with animals that come through there as well. And the practice of shamanic journeying, it slows that you know, with the, the reason why we have the drum or the rattles as you as your mm. listeners, viewers probably know anyway, is is that it slows down our brain wavelengths mm. to come to be the wavelength from, from beta to alpha, which is the wavelength of nature, which is why we can be more visionary when we're mm. out in nature and then slower to the delta to the theta delta. And that that is when we're we're asleep. The mm. the way our brain waves are that slow when we're sleeping. So we mm. enter into that visionary state consciously and then we can start to have a conversation between our everyday self and the dreaming self then, which is the shamanic mm. dreaming. Yeah. Um but it, it is something that we do all the time. It's natural to us. We just, mm -hmm. just can slow our brain waves down by having those those repetitive sounds or having music or or just through slowing our breathing as well and mm. opening up to being in that space. Mm. Uh, but, but yeah, it's having an intent as well, isn't right. it? Yeah. Nick, you know, if if I carry an intention strongly, it's like what I said earlier about the rituals. Yeah. The rituals builders. If I, if I carry an intention, and what you were talking about with the moon cycles earlier as well, we're at a moon cycle, new moon cycle at the time of recording this. But it's a great time for mm. for just putting out an intention then and 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 charting what can happen and what can come through in the play of our lives as well. So you've got to want to do it, haven't you? Really, mm. or else. Yeah. Something's got a really want to <laughs> kind of come through and, and wake something up in you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you said that because that's what I was just thinking, and you beat me to it because I was going to say it's all about intention, isn't it? Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So, um, 
couple of other things that are coming up and I'm probably losing track here with all my notes, but something that you mentioned previously that I think is central to your work is this idea of presence. And I think we've been hitting on it with the idea of being, I think, present to ourselves, being present to the natural world, being present to the cycles that we are in. And I was wondering if you could say a little bit more about presence, because you wrote that presence is the central pole of the entire visionary practice. Not quite on cue, but an animal's <laughs> just appeared here. Yeah. So presence. I mean, it's, I think it's at the core of every single spiritual practice. Yeah. Mm. And it's really, if I'm present and in the moment and, and just make that invest, invest in the, the effort to just come into the moment then my mind stops being in charge mm. and a deeper part of me starts to be able to sense and there's lots of different ways to get present but holding the intention of okay I'm just going to be present right now remember doing lots of different mindful classes mindfulness mm -hmm. classes over the years and that I remember doing a Vipassana like in 1996 my brain just would not <laughs> you know the more mm. you kind of try to go shut up shut up it was yeah. like more like that wasn't it so just like breathing through it and then it took me a long time actually to kind of realize that it's okay for that to be going on at the same time as mm. I'm I'm just in the present I can just notice them mm. and and then I can get in touch with that so it's yeah I have it right at the center of, of what I call the visionary triangle mm -hmm. where if I can come into the present and I will say this with the, the practice of helping practitioners to to work with other people is shamanism that, that I teach as well, that unless we're present with something with nothing to work with, it could all mm. be make-believe. Mm. But if we come into the present moment and we, you know, we 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 find a truth that are a fact that to work with, and it's from that place that we can then just we've direct, you know, direct the finger of spirit mm. with spirit down to that place and to that meeting point. So presence key is the way in to the self and then into everything else. And the rest of the triangle is nature, knowing and trust. So if I can be in nature and come into sync with that, talked a lot about that in this interview, then that nature is the teacher mm. and brings me back to the present as well. And then the knowing, one of the translations of the word shaman is they who know, mm. she, he, or they who know. Um, if, I get in, if I can really find out that, that place in me that feels that knowing and remember those times when I've remember, you know, when I've been in tune with something and I've, I've had a sense of something that's true and develop that, then mm. that, that, that works with the presence and nature as well. And then the trust is, I talk a lot in the book as well about, you know, initiatory processes, the mm. cycles of life, the cycles of, of cycles that can be brought on through trauma or grief or sorrow as well. And how they're opening, I found for myself and, people that I work with that they're openings to the other realms and to things that we we our ego wouldn't let us believe were there before but we 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 don't hold a culture naturally 
where we help people to explore that. That's something that led me to that practice was experiencing that. But it's the trust that's needed mm. in the process, which is oh excruciating <laughs> at times. But it's you know, as a, a double Aries sun and moon with a lot of ego. <laughs> I, I can be really convinced by my own ego sometimes and I have to go up. Step into your spiritual knowing, which is also a part of Aries, but yeah, it's a good dance that I play. So that trust that that we that we cultivate through time and that we hold for others i mean i'm a trained counselor as well and, and work the constellation work i hold some really deep spaces for people and if i didn't trust that they could get through this you know it's it's, it's the trust that i hold for mm. for everything and um, that that really really helps a, a process of opening up to, to being more than who we think we are and to yeah. connecting yeah. with a lot more than we think is part of the show mm. yeah yeah. yeah. And all of that seems to be what is the necessary conditions to get ourselves into a state of flow. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I love that. Yeah. 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 Now, something else that you talked about, and this kind of connects with what you were just saying in regards to the ego, is that I think this, I don't know if it's fair to call it a process, maybe, of being present and those three pillars can lead us to our calling because you do talk about calling and what i found so interesting is that you also noted that our follow following our calling can challenge our ego how so well it depends how we define the ego as well i guess so i i, I can see the ego as being something that you know, I do a pretty good job with myself. But it's also, there's a collective ego. There's an ego in each organization. There's like these ideas. The ego really has ideas, doesn't it? I mean, it's 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 what keeps us safe. It's what it's what we create as a way of understanding the world and as belonging with a tribe, belonging mm. with a community. If I do this in a certain way, I won't get pushed out. You know, the mm. ego is very obedient and and intelligent, but say say all my friendship group really want to go out and yeah they, they, they really want to have a have a way of being that's very I'm trying to think of an example and not yeah that that's that's against the grain of me mm. suddenly waking up and and being able to see spirits mm. I, I'm, I might find that really hard because I know that if I go back to my friends these friends won't will just think that I'm mad. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. it can be things like that. So the ego can be what we have in place because we want, I often work with um, Bert Hellinger's ideas with some of his ideas that connect to the constellation practice around the way that we're constructed through the ancestral lines about that, that needing to belong mm. and that we can get cast out if we, mm. if we go against the grain. Fortunately, in these times, it's so, you know, it's so much easier than it would have been in the Middle Ages, for example. Right. Don't care. But it's not that long ago since <laughs> people were, were and still happens, you know, yeah. persecuted for these practices. So mm -hmm. that's in the ego as well. You know, it's yeah. really in the memories, the genetic mm -hmm. memory. Mm -hmm. So we have to work with that and heal that and mm -hmm. find ways to open. Yeah. 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 So answer that's... the question. Yeah. Nick. Yeah. yeah, well, and that's part of, I'm glad you mentioned the ancestors again, because that's actually part of my ancestral work, because my family in the United States, in the colonies, were 
fairly instrumental with the Salem witchcraft trials and a lot of other things <laughs> that are kind of negative in in American history. So doing ancestral work for me has been really important. And I can see how these ancestral wounds, I can see it from a personal perspective from my mother, her mother, and her mother. And I can see how this wounding has immediately affected. And I can also see it with my dad and his father. And I don't know my great-grandfather on my father's side. So I can see more of a personalized ancestry, but also this extended ancestry. And as well as ancestors of place, ancestors of nation and state and all of these. And it does provide this sense of interconnection, but there's a lot of healing that has to happen there. And I think that a lot of times we don't understand that. I think a lot of people don't see that connection mm-hmm. of to the ancestral wounding. So I applaud you for including that in the book because I think it is so important. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're a lot more than puppets. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I, I mean, I can only speak for myself, can yeah. I? But I am a puppet and, you know, I'll have yeah. these behaviors unless I turn around and, and just look and go, Oh, that's not doing me any good. And where where's that coming from? Yeah, it's a real kind of an emancipation in this practice of mm-hmm. of um, things, yeah, beliefs and things that have been passed down to us, which basically are you know to keep people safe and yeah. to keep on belonging. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and there's it also I think connects a little bit with something else that you talk about in the book is passion, and I think that often people consider passion as this I don't know, like like a drive something that you care about exceptionally I'm not <laughs> you know what I mean I think but passion also technically means suffering you know when we talk about compassion is to be cognizant and recognize the suffering of others and you talk about the passion of the earth and I think, yeah, the earth is suffering right now and we're suffering. And so there's a lot of passion there, but you also connect passion with creativity. And I was wondering how our passions can drive the creativity and drive this quest for wholeness and health. I love how you, how you interpreted the word passion there. Mm. I know compassion is suffering with Mm-hmm. You know, you you go go alongside someone and suffer with them, hold that space of of deep empathy. Passion for me, I feel as a moving force. So I guess I can go into that. Kind of, you know, where, where's the passion? It's perhaps yeah. it's where the healing is. You know, perhaps yeah. it's where the momentum, where something's stirring. It's, mm. it's there's a real stirring there, isn't there? And when we get in touch with these deep deep places of emotion, emotional places then there's there's an incentive there's a, there is that drive to mm. to do something and we're all moved in different ways and the way that i feel passion might be more fiery and in than a way that someone else can just really feel that passion in more of a watery way or an emotional way more flowing crying way or something so yeah i think the passion of the earth and the passion of these times and how we work with passion to create whole bring back wholeness is what you were asking there wasn't it it's it's listening to those stirrings 
And it's also honouring that each of us have, has our own way of working with passion, which I'm fascinated by. And I always have to listen even more deeply to how, how does this person work or how does this animal kind of sense and feel or, or this plant? What What's what's happening here in, in the stirrings and everything and the expression and everything? So it's it's part it is part of the calling, the passion. Yeah. It's part of and it's the listening to that in everyone and everything. I think the weather, I mean the yeah. weather communicates so much to us, doesn't it? And maybe yeah. more in Scotland because yeah. we get lots of different weathers. But yeah, and with the I used to think a lot about the, the floods that happen as well and mm. the water spirits and how I try and listen to the, to them a lot as well and the, the imbalances that happen. I think passion that suffering as well can a lot be tied into. This is just the thought I'm having as I'm speaking, but with anxiety, the anxieties mm. that we feel as well, and there's a lot of anxiety. You know, it's probably one of the most prevalent emotions at the moment mm. and listening to that and finding out what the deeper calling is when we yeah. hold space for that. There's an intelligence, isn't there, to passion? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. You keep answering my as as you speak. I think of questions, and then you keep answering my questions because I was going to say, ah, yes, the passion is connected to the calling, and then I was thinking in terms of what we were talking about a little bit ago, in the sense of the calling challenging the ego, and it seems to me that's where the anxiety is coming from, it is not being true to our passions and our callings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you could you could go on a journey into yeah. into the anxiety and the ego and just say, yeah. you know, find out how, how are you connected? You could constellate and have a yeah. have a couple of mats yeah. with anxiety and ego and find out how they mm -hmm. work with one another and then another one for calling. There's lots of different ways to kind of just explore that. But yeah. Yeah, you're opening up something here, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I try. So I, I know that we're starting to run out of time here a little bit, but hopefully I can ask you just a couple more questions. One is you've mentioned a few times now spirits, spirits of the land. And we were talking about the weather and you know, learning from weather, which I think is very valuable. Um you know, Southern California, we have a lot of sun and right now we're, we're having some rains and it's interesting because now I want to ask, well, what are the lessons I have to learn with this? And I pay attention on my hikes. There is, I can't call it a river. I'll, I'll call it a Creek, but after some of the major rains we had, it was definitely a river. And it was a raging river. Mm -hmm. And it's always interesting to me to, and this is something I do is I measure it because towards the end of August, you know, after we've had months and months and months of no rain, I, I can just cross it without even getting my boots wet. And now I can't cross it without getting my knees wet, you know? And so I'm kind of not just monitoring it, but learning from that, that also helps drive my connection. And I try to be in contact with the spirits. At one point I was going to take, a, I, I did this once or twice. I took a rattle with me and I was just going to sit someplace and just, you know, do my rattle and see what, what comes up. But I, I was curious because I think so many people are like, ah, oh, spirits in the land. That's just silly. But I know in Europe, there is a long held tradition of spirits in the land and other places as well. So I was wondering if you could say a little bit about the spirits, spirits of the land, spirits of the weather. You know, it's 
it's it's that practice of just keeping on listening, keeping on knowing that intent that actually I want to build a relationship with this place. And mm. because because I've practiced a lot with the shamanic journeying and because because I can sense, you know, and I've, I've opened up my senses, then maybe I can, I call it drifting when I'm out mm. in nature. It's almost like I'm, I'm, I'm working with the drifts. Mm. But I, I used to live on the side of a hill called Dragon Hill in, in a place called Wormit in Scotland, which means the place of the dragon. Mm. And my, my morning walk would be every day to go to a tree that was on top of this hill and just and just sit there and just ask ask to meet the ancestors of the land <laughs> there. Yeah. And I'd write, I'd write and I'd do automatic writing and, I, and I'd just mm. tune in. And it was through like doing that for a long period of time. I mean, I did that for about eight years. I wrote a little novel as well, like like from that experience. But the things that I were told, they started to come through in everyday life as well. So I can only tell my story. And I always say, you know, everybody's got their own way in, but it's been available and, it, and, and it's been available and listening. One of the practices that, that we have is practice called dismemberment where you break that's good practice for breaking down the ego and the ideas of something and I often used to I think I talk talk about this in the book as well mm. there's the practice of going out in a storm and just asking the storm to dismember me obviously a safe storm not right, not right. a storm that's that's gonna knock roofs off places and tear down trees but but being in that being in that energy of the storm and, and letting yourself, you know, just be with the storm and feel, feel, yeah, just let it communicate with you, commune with you and break you down and, and feel what that energy is. Mm. And quite often that can, can really move people from one state to another as well. And then it's just with the weather. I mean, it's, it's just acknowledging that, we all know that our mood changes with different weather that, that there's there's a reason for that there's there's a relationship that's there it's having such an effect on on us so yeah it's been open to that and then with the sun shining all the time and yeah. that being the main weather then what a great what a great chance to really get to know the sun yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. and one of the one of yeah some of the first guides that came through for me were the priestesses of priests and priestesses of the sun from mm. different traditions and um, just found myself being taken to temples of Ra and then worked mm. with Raphael and then to some ancient Greek cultures as well. And, uh, you know, they're, they're my main guides for, mm. for, for clearing work and I'll, I'll, I'll have a special song and they'll come through. But that was over time from working with them and then being in, in sessions and people would be like, what are those yellow rattles? I really felt that. And, you know, that, that, yeah. those, those are my rattles where I'm working with the priestesses and priests of the sun and the, the transmuting and helping to lift. And But that, you know, that's through many years of practicing. But And then it's trusting the, yeah, just trusting the weather that mm, sometimes yeah. we, we, you know, going out collectively with people and, and, and working with the weather together and asking and sharing the different messages that we get and seeing the synchronicities as well. Mm. It's all of this, isn't it? That just yeah. that just changes us to be able to open up to actually there's there are communications going on all the time and nothing's mm. an accident and I'm missing out on a whole spectrum of of 
of myself and how I relate to everything. If I don't include, mm. I call it a practice of inclusion and flow. You use mm. the word building models of inclusion and flow. Mm. And that's what that's what I feel like. It's one of the things that I do along with others. But yeah, how can we include the weather? And yeah. it's just by again being present and listening and being available and being playful mm. as well. Yeah. And what that brings to mind is now I want to give some serious thought to the sort of the collective expression of a place because of its weather. I'm thinking in terms of specifically like Southern California, because there is je- there is a definite sort of spirit here and it's very deeply connected, I think, to just the overwhelming amount of sunshine we get. And I, I I really want to start thinking about that. So I thank you for bringing that up in me. And the other thing that you were just talking about, and I think this might be a good place to kind of start bringing things to a close, is this act of dismembering. And what I noted down here is that there's a process that I think that you're leading people through. And I think in a sense, it is a process of dismembering where we have to kind of take apart the people we have become that are inauthentic, that we are disconnected from the earth, we're disconnected from ourselves, we're disconnected from our own stories, or we tell ourselves the wrong stories over and over. And, but yet this dismemberment isn't all there is to it, because what I also wrote down is that what we also have to do after this dismembering is a remembering. And I am wondering if that's fair. Is that kind of the end goal to remember who and what we are and remember our true stories? Absolutely. And that's calling. If we follow Mm. our calling, we're remembering and dismemberment Mm. happens. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and then if we include, we yeah, find a way to bring bring in everything that's been apparently cast out, then we we go back to a more true way of being again. But but like I said, when I was speaking about the birth of my son, he was wholly connected when he was born, and I I was just doing that kind of really having that existential crisis of oh my god, everything I do, I'm going to take him away from this, and that was a real propelling for me to. Yeah. Um, yeah, find a way of living that was connected, and but it's part it's part of the play that we're in, isn't it? Mm, you yeah. know, it, it's it's part of the play. There has to be some kind of can't go around grieving for that forever. It, it's it's the right. reality of what we are. But and often as well, you know, working with young children and seeing, I remember myself as a child I had visions. I remember mm. that I was always connected and talking and playing mm. with with. I could I could feel and see everything, and I saw it as color. But it went at some point and it, there's that idea that if it's not talked about, if it's not encouraged, then it just goes away. And then we become adults, start playing again. And, mm-hmm. and then things happen that break us down. And some of us, it's like, okay, all right. And how do I how do I find the map so that I'm not going to go insane and, and, and yeah. find a context for this? And we go on this journey. And then for some of us, it's more of, oh, I know that there's more than this. And mm-hmm. it's more of a, talk about this in loop as well, more of a gentle kind of process of, mm-hmm remembering but yeah yeah, but but then I think I don't know if you think this as well Nick but every time has its zeitgeist every every Mm. different time 
has its way of, of of being. So as much as it's a remembering, it's it's not going to be the same as it was right, right. thousands of years ago. This and that's the thing of journeying to the future ones. What did we do in these times that yeah. that helped you? And what what are your times around? Kind of I love the idea of art movements as well as an artist mm. and just seeing how they've evolved. Who are we at this part yeah. of our evolution and and what what are we called to bring to the earth? How will we right. be remembered? It's that beautiful song, yeah. isn't there? Right. We will be, yeah, we shall be known. Yeah. And how will we, how will we be remembered? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll be remembered as how we remember in this way. Yeah. Well, I think that along those lines, something to keep in mind is that we are ancestors as well. Yeah. 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 You know? Yeah. And yeah, I often think I, I actually live in the future. So yeah. 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 And yeah. I think that's something that we need to keep in mind that, you know, we are setting the stage for the future and we will, we are the ancestors for those mm-hmm. who come after us. Yeah. 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 And there's a quote that I have in, 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 in here as well, which is, was outside my, my door when I was pregnant with my, my son. And it's, it's all around, you know, that we, we inherit the we inherit the earth from our children. Right, 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 right. Yeah, and what you were just saying as well. This will be the final thing I had. Um, you asked this question, and this is like one of the last notes I had here. And your question was, I am wondering if there is a correlation between the greater soul and the soul of the age. Mm-hmm. Did I write that? Yeah, you did. <laughs> Good question. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, think well, I don't it just think, came through me. Yeah. I don't yeah. think you came up with an answer. I think you were just kind of pondering the question. Uh-huh. And I was wondering if, if if you have pondered it any further. If you have. <laughs> so I wonder if there's any correlation between the Greater Great soul, soul and the soul of the age. Yeah. Yeah. Well, can you feel that question? Yeah. I think when I feel that question, I feel like two mountains coming together. Mm. I think it's one of those questions that's not meant to be answered, isn't it? Uh, Is it? Yeah. It's, more, it's more of a question to be entered into mm. and go, oh, we're here. Yeah. 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 That's fair. That's fair. So, all right. So I I know that we are out of time. So let me ask you just a couple more questions. One is what's coming up next for you? I have shamanic dreaming is out in the the States now and other parts of the continent. And it's coming out on the 2nd of March in the UK and Europe. And I also have another book called Trees Are Our Letters. So Shamanic mm. Dreaming is being published by Pinton Press. And Trees Are Our Letters is a book about 10 trees, a journey of creativity with working with 10 trees, getting to really know the trees. And that's coming out and is published by Moon Books on the 28th of February. Mm. So those are happening. And then I'm taking a filmmaking degree at the moment alongside the work that I do as well working with people I'm teaching consolation courses and shamanic courses but I'm yeah so I've got yeah there'll be things coming out soon with films that I'm making Mm. which which work with mythology and and Mm. and human stories and yeah I feel like I'm really being called to create 
create things that people can enter into that that open up open up the theater in that way as well Wonderful. And my understanding is you have a website and I wanted to make sure that this is still the best place to direct people to. It's the creativeearthensemble.com. Yeah, just creativeearthensemble.com. That's right. I used, I, I used to be called the Center for Creative Vision, which is mm. how I'm often introduced. Mm. And then I changed it over the last year to be Creative Earth Ensemble because it feels more this this message of we're all in it together and we're all listening and creating something mm. and, and coming together in our own ways. So yeah, you can find me on there. There's a, there's a subscription for if you want the newsletter and then there's, there's a place to send an email through as well if you've got any questions or anything. Okay, wonderful. Well, Carol, it was an absolute delight speaking with you this morning and I am so grateful for your time. And I hope that at some point we'll be able to speak again. Yeah, I'd love that. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Time's just flown by. And yes. thank you everybody for listening and watching as well. Yes, yes. Always thank you to the audience. Always, always. Mm -hmm. All right. And that's a wrap on episode 76 of Rebel Spirit Radio. Thank you so much for listening or watching if you're part of my YouTube audience or view this on Spotify. If you like what I do here on Rebel Spirit Radio and would like to support my work, please consider becoming a patron. I spend quite a bit of time on each podcast episode and have plans for growing the YouTube channel, but I really can't do that without some additional financial support. Right now, this is a labor of love, and I hope that if you find any value in what I'm doing here, that you can help me in continuing this work. You can find the link for the Patreon in the show notes or video description. And of course, if you'd like to make a one-time donation via PayPal, uh, you can still do so. I will be tremendously grateful for any support that you can provide. Another way that you can help the podcast is to share it with friends, family, or even coworkers that you think will enjoy it. And please share it on social media as well. That really is one of the best ways you can help to support the podcast. As I've mentioned several times now, I often kid that I'm here in the Southland doing missionary work in regards to religion, spirituality, and ecology, psychedelics, and consciousness, and how all of this can help us heal humanity's relationship with the sacred earth. So if you feel moved by the rebel spirit, please, by all means, help share the good news. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to give it a positive rating on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. It only takes a second and your five-star ratings really do help, especially if you listen on Apple. If you have a moment to spare, please consider posting a short but positive review. And please subscribe. For those viewing on YouTube, please give this video a thumbs up and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Make sure that you hit that notification bell so you will be informed when I upload new content. I'm Nick Mather, and you've been listening to Rebel Spirit Radio. Until next time, may you be in peace. May you flourish in all possible ways, and may you continue to nurture your rebel spirit.